Okay, guys, before we get started, I want to give an announcement about the study hall and the next boot camp. I said that I wasn't going to do a boot camp after the summer boot camp. I'm doing an attachment group right now, which is different from a boot camp. It's not as intense because every single person is working at a different level. I have them all working pretty much to, you know, as much work as they are able to do. But the journaling is very important. It's important to journal four to six days a week and respond to three to five other boot campers journals four to six days a week. So if you can make that commitment, you are welcome to the holiday boot camp. The holiday boot camp is going to be a cross of a beginning boot camp. If you've never done any of this work before, you haven't done the relationship inventory you want to do with me, you're free to join. If you're a little more advanced than that and you want to work on codependency, you are free to join. It's going to be a hybrid. So it's going to be a hybrid of a beginning and a codependency. So whether you are beginning or you're a little bit advanced but want to work on codependency, you can do it. I've done codependency boot camps, I've done beginning boot camps, and I've done a hybrid. So this is a hybrid. Please send me email. Send to Susan at gettingpastorbreakup.com. Send to Susan J E one 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 nine. That's three ones nine at gmail.com. Just because sometimes the blue host email just gets stuck somewhere. I don't know where the hell it gets stuck, but it does. And I have to actually go on the server and pull them all off. And I don't do that every single day. So if you want the registration form, it will be available after November 1st. Send me email. It is limited. There's usually a wait list. This is the holiday boot camp. It's going to go on for eight weeks. Uh, well, nine weeks. We do a break in the middle. So it's nine week boot camp. We do a break in the middle and I hope to start it uh, a week or so before Thanksgiving so that you have a lot of support through the holidays. So please send me email. Let me know what you, you're willing to do. And then the study hall will be coming up after the first of the year. So hopefully when this boot camp ends, the study hall will be ready. I just don't want to put the study hall up without it being absolutely 100% perfect. And there's still videos that I have to do. And I, I still am working on the course materials. So I'm not putting the study hall up until I have an optimized site, which we optimized the site a couple of weeks ago, but I'm getting a new forum. I need some more power on the server. I'm talking to Bluehost. That's probably going to happen the second or third week in January and we'll go from there. So if you're interested in the study hall, you want to wait for that, that's fine. If you want to join the holiday boot camp, please let me know. It usually sells out and I usually have a wait list. So please let me know guys. Take care everybody. Bye-bye. I'm going to have this as an announcement at the beginning of like two or three podcasts. So don't get annoyed. It'll it'll go away soon. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast, the tough-talking, advice-giving show by the not-really-mean, mean lady, Susan J. Elliott. Good day, my meanies. This is Susan Elliott, host of Mean Lady Talking Podcast, and welcome to so 78. I know I've been on a bit of a hiatus. It was un- totally unplanned, but I needed to get my life back in order. And this was the only way to do it. Now I wanted to explain to the meanies 
that I appreciate your support. I need your support, but I'm going to pause the Patreon account for two months so that I can catch up, get everybody their bonuses. All of the books went out. Everybody who who's, who qualified for books should have them unless you didn't send me your, uh, your, your physical address. And I'm working on the mini bonuses, which is still coming out. I just don't want to charge people. But I want to let everybody know, we just got a dating page. I paid somebody to put all of the dating podcasts on one page. You could see it. All the personality disorders on one page. And previously, I had done all the grief and loss and attachment podcasts on one page. So those are all on MeanLadyTalking.com. If you go to MeanLadyTalking.com, you go to episodes, you'll see. It will say MLT Dating, MLT Personality Disorders, MLT Grief and Loss and Attachment. So you can get, if you want to listen to just all of the dating podcasts, they're there. All the personality ones are together. All the grief and loss are together and attachment are together. So someone is working on that. And I have somebody who is working on putting all the show notes that were originally on gettingpassionbreakup.com on meanladytalking.com. And that's where the Patreon money has been going. So I can really get guys everything in, a, in an orderly fashion. I'm a bit OCD about things. So I tend to overly analyze what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. Anyway. I have decided to take my own advice and get my life in order. As you guys know, I was sick for a couple of weeks, had a medication reaction after I was sick, and they're still trying to regulate some of my medications. And you might hear my voice is a little shaky. This comes from the neuropathy. I have I have really bad neuropathy. And sometimes when it's out of control, things shake, like my, my hands will suddenly twitch, and my legs will suddenly twitch. And it was a fight with the insurance company for months to get me on Lyrica. And then after all of that fighting, Lyrica went generic, and now it's not a fight anymore. But it had been a fight for so long. And the insurance company just didn't care that I wasn't, it wasn't like... I wasn't help being helped at all. I mean, they just didn't care. Insurance companies, I, you know, I'm like yelling at them people. And I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, you know, this is not approved. Have you tried this? Yes. Have you tried that? Yes. Have you tried that? Yes. Ridiculous. Anyway, so the neuropathy, they've been trying to get under control. They've been trying to get the uh, right medication levels, things like that. So anyway... Um, I just wanted to explain if my voice feels shaky sometimes. There there, there were some days, like the other day, I was just twitching all over the place. And I had taken my, my Lyrica and, you know, the, you know, the amounts that I was supposed to, and I couldn't understand why I was, why I was shaking the way that I was. But anyway, the Jody Arias oral arguments were held. And like I've been saying on Twitter, their strongest arguments was the media publicity and prosecutorial misconduct. I don't know why they did the other four arguments, but I am going to do a Jody Arias podcast anyway. I'm going to talk about, even though self-defense is not part of the appeal, people who support her still are talking about self-defense, which has nothing to do with anything at this point. But I am going to talk about the two, I said they're two strongest arguments. I've been saying this on Twitter for months, was media publicity and prosecutorial misconduct. And it's going to be a nail biter, but I'm going to explain all of that in a podcast. Also, Chris Watts, I have been researching psychopathology 
for months and trying to pigeonhole this guy and what he did. And it's just so amazing to me that he was who he was before he was a murderer. It's, you know, it's just mind boggling. Anyway, I've gone back through the Chris Watts stuff and it's so disturbing. And his confession was made it even more disturbing. It was worse than anybody thought. So I had to take a step back from that. I did hear from the Rusak family. They did thank me for sticking up for them. I think that the victim blaming that's gone on in this case is absolutely disgusting. And I will stand on that. So anyway, I'm going to do another Chris Watts episode. And I'm really glad that Frank Rusak reached out to me to thank me for the podcast that I did for about them. So anyway, and also Kurt Nurmi, who was the defense attorney in Jody Ayres case, he reached out to me as well and thanked me for, for sticking up for defense attorneys. And, you know, I'll say it until the day, I mean, I've worked both sides. I have worked both sides. I've worked plaintiff and I worked defense. If you are ever accused of a crime, whether you did it or not, you're going to want a defense attorney. You're going to want a defense attorney who's going to object to every little thing like Kurt Nermy and Jennifer Wilmont did. As they looked through the transcript, there was very little in that transcript that the appeal could really hang its hat on because Kurt Nermy and Jennifer Wilmont objected the hell out of everything. Sidebars, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, there was so much in that, in that trial and, you know, it's like when they go up on appeal, if the, if the defense attorneys didn't work right, they would have had an effective assistance of counsel on the appeal. And they didn't because, and even though the attorney who's suing Kurt Nurmi for Jody Arias appears as special counsel on the appeal, there was nothing about Kurt Nurmi doing anything wrong. There was no ineffective assistance of counsel in the appeal because they were very effective. And people have to understand that now in the appeal, they're talking about the media publicity, making it a circus, and, and how they're proving that is people sending death threats to the defense, taking photos of the defense lawyers and experts having dinner and all of that. I mean, I know that Alice LaViolette was a horrible witness. She was an advocate for Jody Arias. And she really did a disservice to domestic violence victims. And I really take so much exception to her testimony. And I've talked about this in the Male Stalking podcast, which I'll link to here. But um, you guys have heard me say it a million times. But anyway, sending death threats to her and calling her names is going to support the people that you don't want to support. Her appellate team is saying, look, it was a circus. And and how they know it was a circus was because of the death threats and the atmosphere that was created by the publicity. So if you are somebody who's following a criminal trial, and right now I'm following the Ezra uh, McCandless trial. I'll talk about that some other time. But if you are following a criminal trial, and you want the defendant locked up forever. The worst thing you can do is send death threats to his or her attorney or his or her experts because it really helps the appellate argument that this thing was a circus. And it's not fair and it's not okay. And now they're saying they should have sequestered the jury, which on a four-month trial is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. 
I don't know how they thought that sequestering the jury when they put her on the stand for, you know, a million days is going to help their case because it wasn't. But it's in the air that all these people sent death threats and called names and everything. I'm asking people, if you are following a trial, a criminal trial, and you want the defendant to be found guilty and locked up, do not send death threats to their attorneys. Do not send death threats to their experts. Do not call them names. You're working against what we need to have happen. So don't do it. And I had it out with a woman on Twitter who said she didn't know how Kurt Nermy could sleep at night. Defense attorneys have a job to do. Somebody has to do it. And if you were ever accused of a crime, whether you did it or not, you would want an attorney of the caliber of Kurt Nurmi. He really did a really good job. I mean, I thought he was slow. I thought, you know, he spoke too slowly. I wanted to put my head through a wall a lot of times. He he mispronounced name he mispronounced words. You know, he called hyperbole, hyperbole, and a few other things, but he did the job and somebody has to do the job. And I did a criminal appeal and I did it on the defense and those people work very, very hard and somebody has to do it. And in my case, there was a chain of custody that was actually absolutely ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous of where this evidence went. And... Nobody seemed to know where it was and nobody seemed to care because the woman that I was doing the appeal for had been a sort of lifelong petty criminal, but she had always done misdemeanors. And this, they were going to say that it was over $1,000, which would make it a felony. And I was just trying to get it broken down into being a misdemeanor. And I couldn't even follow the chain of custody. But when I went for oral argument, the judges were kind of goofing around and stuff. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, this is just horrible. But in the Jody Arias case, they took it very, very seriously. And they did talk about the overwhelming evidence of her guilt, which is good. But I'm going to talk about the case. And I'm going to talk about the self-defense, even though the self-defense isn't part of the appeal. I'm going to talk about it because her little minions keep talking about that. And it's ridiculous. She did not, it was not self-defense. She slaughtered this guy. Anyway, I just wanted to say a couple of things. I'm doing a podcast, which will I'm hoping to edit this weekend and get out on infidelity. Now, the person that wrote me is a meanie. And the person said that celebrities tend to forgive infidelities and that it seems to run rampant. Now, I don't follow celebrity breakups and I don't follow celebrity relationships. So when I got this, I started to research it because that's what I do. You guys send me stuff and I don't know about it. I research it. I'm a researching lunatic and you've seen my videos with the books and you know I have a thousand books and I have a million books on everything. But I really don't follow celebrities. So when they, when this person came to me and said that she thought that it was very common in celebrity marriages, kind of look the other way, blah, blah, blah. She talked about, you know, this and that. And she thought that it was normal, quote unquote. So she stayed in her marriage longer than she should have because it was full of infidelity. So I want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that in the next couple of days. The other thing is the sex show. Somebody wrote me, and I found this really disturbing. 
A young woman wrote me, she's in her 20s, and she says that men of her age, and I don't know about this because I'm not in my 20s, tend to use violent words against when they're talking about making love with a woman. They tend to say, like, I'm going to plow that, and then the slang word for a woman's anatomy. I'm going to plow that. I'm going to slay that. I'm going to, you know, it's just... I'm going to do this violent thing to this body part. It has nothing to do with the woman. And she said that she's getting to the point where she doesn't want to even talk to men because they've all got this kind of big shot talk violently about, you know, slaying this, plowing this. She gave me a bunch of a bunch of words that I don't have in front of me right now. But she said that she is so disappointed in men her age and that she has been dating guys in their late 40s and 50s because they don't speak like that. And I don't know about this because I'm not running around in these groups, you know, and I, I wouldn't be. But she says that she thinks that they're very influenced by rap songs and hip hop songs where it's all about how much of a woman's anatomy you can get. It has nothing to do with the woman that's attached to that anatomy. And so anyway, I would really love to hear people's opinions on that, especially if you're in your 20s, early 30s. Please let me know. Please send email and send email to mean lady talking podcast at gmail.com because that works better than mean lady talking at mean lady talking.com. I don't know what's wrong with Bluehost. They can't seem to get their, their, uh, email stuff straight, straightened out. But send email to mean lady talking podcast at gmail.com and let me know, especially if you're in your 20s, early 30s. And if you're a guy, and you talk like this, or your friends talk like this, your buddies talk like this, send me an email and tell me why. Because this this young woman is very disturbed about this. So somebody needs to tell me what's going on. The other thing is that somebody asked me that I had I had written about being with a narcissist. And they said, could you please read this letter aloud in your podcast. And I thought I had done that, but I'll do it again. So anyway, that's coming up. And this is just an intro to what is going on with the podcast. The podcast is absolutely continuing. I needed to get some bonus out for my meanies and I needed to kind of regroup, but I went to my own workbook and I started using the goal section. Everybody knows that I'm like very big on goals. So I went to the goal section and when I was sick and when I was having my medication issues, I was so dizzy on the medication stuff that I couldn't even stand up. I mean, I was just like, like the room was spinning. There was just no way. If I turned on the computer, like the room was spinning. If I turned on the TV, the room was spinning. It was like, I couldn't concentrate on anything. I couldn't see anything. It was like being lost where you're blind, deaf, and dumb, and there was nothing you can do about it. All I could do was basically lay down and not move because I was so dizzy. And so I fell behind in a lot of stuff in my personal life, not just the podcast, but I felt very beholden to the podcast because there's people out there who support the podcast. And I felt very beholden to them because I am very responsible. I've always been very responsible. 
and I want to make sure that everybody gets what they're supposed to get. So if you don't have the books and you're supposed to have the books, let me know. I, I, on my side, it's everybody got them. So all of them have gone out. So let me know about that. Oh, the dating thing. Yeah. We had this brawl in the Facebook group about dating. And it was all about this person who was seeing this guy for eight months and he's a nice guy and he's gentle and he's this, he's that, he's another thing, but she's not attracted to him. So this whole thing went on in there. And people said, ask your friends what they think. If it's physical attraction, you cannot ask somebody's friends. And I've always said that sparks and chemistry is often one person's dysfunction saying hello to the other person's dysfunction. And Robin Norwood covers this in Women Who Love Too Much. You know, she talks about how the dangerous guy sets up chemistry with us. Our seeking to win over somebody who isn't easily won sets us off. And we see that as sparks, as fireworks, as chemistry, but it's not a danger. It's it's danger, Will Robinson, it's danger. And we don't understand that quiet love that real love is quiet. It's quiet. It's comfortable. It's nice. It's not that you can have fireworks. My husband, Michael, was the best lover I ever had. But when I met him, I wasn't like, like, oh my God, fireworks. I was, oh, he's so cute. He kissed me on the first day and it took me totally by surprise because usually guys would wait until like the end of a first date and try to kiss you. And I would say, I don't kiss on the first date before we got to that point. We were going to sit down in the restaurant and I turned around to talk to him and he grabbed me and kissed me in the restaurant as we're going to our table with the server right there, the person who's like leading us to our table. And I looked at him like he was out of his freaking mind. And he said, I just, he goes, I just would think about doing this the whole meal if I didn't get it over with. And I was like, you little bastard. Like I was absolutely adamant that I never kissed on a first date. Never kissed on a first date. It was my rule. It was set in stone. Nobody ever got to do it. I remember the guy that I lived with for almost five years. I remember our first date. He hugged me and said, I hope there'll be a second date. And I was like, yeah, there'll be a second date. We had a second date. It was great. But he took me to an observatory where there was a telescope and it was marvelous. But we just made out the whole day. But anyway, um, Michael turned and kissed me like that on the first day. And I was like, you bastard. And when we sat down, I said, I don't kiss on the first day. He goes, yes, you do. And I was like, oh, my God, he's so he's so incorrigible. He really is incorrigible. And, you know, I told him that we were not sleeping together until we had STD testing. And I was adamant about it. And and he, he was going crazy the whole time. And we would make out and he would go, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, this is just too, you know, like, like we have to stop and it's just too much for me. So I was like, okay, well, you know, you know, I'm just waiting to, for the testing to come back. And he goes, I don't have any STDs, like yelling at me. And I was like, we will see. But he kissed me like passionately on the first date. So, you know, I wasn't thinking sparks and fireworks. I was thinking he was somebody I could not fit into, you know, he was just a square peg in a round hole. Like I could not fit him anywhere. And I would just watch him. And I remember the day he had this, he had this morning ritual. He got up really early. He was always very early. He got up early. He'd go to get gas. He'd go to get coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. He had this ritual 
And then he would, you know, drop his daughter off at, at daycare. And I'm watching him one day in the um, in the parking lot. And I was just like, he is adorable. He was just spinning around like the Tasmanian devil, which is what I always called him. I'm like, you're the Tasmanian devil, like just bouncing from one place to the other. But he was bouncing. And I was like, oh, my God, he is adorable. And I've, I've posted the pictures of us from 1996 and 2007, 11 years apart. And you could tell, like, we still love each other so much in the 2007. But I just remember it being a slow burn with him, a very slow burn with him. And he was a great lover. I mean, he was, he, and it was all about satisfying the woman. You know, I was, I was fine with that. But, you know, he was one of the few men that I knew that actually knew how to perform oral sex. I never met a guy, you know, it's like, I remember Sam Kinison would say, ladies, give us like, give us a hint. Like he goes, you do the alphabet, like A, B, C. I remember that, that skit from Sam Kinison so well, like give us a, give us some clues, give us some hints. What are we supposed to be doing down there? And Michael knew he did not, I don't think he did the alphabet, but he knew exactly what he was doing. He was great. So, you know, none of that was revealed to me when I was watching him in the in the gas station running around like a little Tasmanian devil. But I just thought he was so cute and adorable. And then there was a guy that I thought was cute and adorable that I was seeing in Vermont. And he was an awful, awful, awful lover. I mean, just absolutely horrible. And I've got a story about him, too, at some point that I'll tell you guys. But, you know... You can't always judge a book by its cover. So everybody got involved in this, you know, this brouhaha about this guy. And if you're not ready for real love, you're not ready. You know, if you're seeing a guy for eight months and you don't feel like kissing him and you haven't felt like kissing him and then you bring this to a group of strangers and you get all these crazy, crazy responses, like what what does that say about you? Like you have to sit back and think about this whole thing. What does this say about you? I can't tell if he's hideous. Maybe he's hideous. And maybe that's why she doesn't want to kiss him. But she says he's a nice guy. He's reliable. He's a sweetheart. He's this, he's that. But she doesn't feel like kissing him. Okay, I don't know. Like, I can't tell you. I don't know if I would have felt like kissing Michael. Michael wasn't letting it go past sitting down on our first date. I was like, you bastard. But, you know, this other guy is, you know, kind of, Lottie Daring out there. You know, I don't know what the hell he's doing. So anyway, he had said to her that he wants to be more than friends. And she's like, well, you know, I I don't know. So I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, how can any of us judge the physical characteristics of another person? Now, I want to do the sex show and I want to do it pretty soon. Please send me email about all of these topics about the, you know, if you're late 20s, early 30s, male, female, tell me about this whole thing about how you're talking about sex and why you're talking about sex. The other thing is, I saw this thing, it was five minutes I saw on a show. I usually don't watch these shows with these like crazy people who think they're therapists or whatever it is. It's always, you know, it's kind of like Jerry Springer light, but it, all these crazy shows. This one woman said this guy cheated and they were trying to work things out, trying to get things together. And I'll talk about this on the show that I'm going to do this weekend. I'm going to edit this weekend. I've already done it 
on cheating, but she said the fact that you each have each other's passwords to your phone show that you don't trust each other. And it's like, yeah, when there's been cheating, you you don't trust each other, but. Michael and I had each other's passwords and there had not been any cheating and we did trust each other. That's the whole thing. It, it's like you don't want to be Sherlock Holmes. And I just had this discussion with my attachment group. We had this big, we had this call one night and it, it wound up into this big discussion about this. You don't want to be Sherlock Holmes. If you're with somebody that you have to spy on, you have to sit there and think about, is this worth it? Like, I want to live my life. I don't want to be checking up on you every five minutes. But if you have each other's passwords, if you could go on each other's computers, it's not about you don't trust each other because it's about, no, we've got nothing to hide. In the couple that this woman was talking about, now I saw five minutes of the show. I think it's called the Lisa show or something. I don't know what the hell it is. It's just some crap. But she was like, this shows that you don't trust each other. And I was like, if they're trying to get back together after an affair, it's a very hard thing to get over. So of course they have each other's password. She's totally off the mark, totally off the mark. And I set that in stone. My advice is that healthy couples have each other's passwords for their phones, for their computers. And it you don't want to be Sherlock Holmes. If you don't trust somebody and you feel like you have to put a tracking device on that person and that you tracking that person and trying to see what they're doing is affecting your ability to live your life. Remember, hobbies, interests, friends should continue on when you're in a relationship. If you're in a relationship that you have to play Sherlock Holmes, male or female, and it is standing in your way of having hobby interest friends because you can't relax enough, then you have to step back and say, is this the relationship I want to be in? I'm losing my voice again. Sorry, guys. You have to think about it. You have to think about it. But you should be able to have each other's passwords to your computers, to your phones, to everything. And that's not a matter of you don't trust each other. It's a matter of you do trust each other and you've got nothing to hide. But if you have to do this stuff in a relationship where you're not quite sure and you do have reasons to not trust this person, maybe you should think about what this is doing to your life. Because if you have to be Sherlock Holmes and it will keep you away from hobbies, interests, friends, you're never going to be able to relax enough to just go off on your own and do your own thing, which is what is necessary for a healthy relationship. So you really have to think about that. Okay, we're going to talk about that in the cheating podcast that's coming. Okay, I'm going to do the rest of the alchemy by Carl Jung for meanies. I'm going to do that very shortly. I'm going to have that up for anybody who is a four ninety nine and up meanie. People wrote to me. They asked me for the rest of it. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to give you guys. If you want to be a meanie, That's fabulous. I'm going to pause the Patreon account for November, December so I can catch up. And I'm going to make sure that I know the couple, a couple of you said, a few of you, not a couple, a few of you said, don't pause it. Let me continue to support you. Your work is very important. I truly, truly appreciate it. I just want to try to get caught up with things. So I'm going to do the alchemy for the, I believe it will be the September bonus for meanies. I'll I'll look at it, but people have asked me, they really like the alchemy one that I posted. So I'm going to do another one and I'm going to continue to see if I can do the meanies. I've got a few requests into Patreon support. Give the meanies the, the podcast 
two days early as I always have, and I will let you guys know. So all of these podcasts are coming up. The Alchemy bonus is coming up and for the meanies. Stay tuned for that. And thank you for your wonderful, wonderful messages and asking if I'm okay and caring about me. You guys are absolutely wonderful. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you so much. We've just been picked up by Pandora. I believe that it should be available on Pandora now. And if it's not, it will be in a few days. So if you want to catch us on Pandora, look for us in a couple of days. So thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Really care about you guys. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.